Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Enrique Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTRadio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Sports Beat. It is eight minutes after five o'clock. I hope you've had a terrific Monday, April the 3rd, 2023. Sports Beat is back live as we kick off a brand new week as we are smack dab in the middle of Notre Dame football spring practice. We are 19 days away from the Blue Goal game, live from Notre Dame Stadium, a game that will bring you live on WSBT Radio Saturday, April the 22nd at 2 o'clock. My name is Darren Pritchett. Here we go again, a brand new week. We've got a 90-minute program tonight. We step away at 6.30 as we join Westwood One's pregame coverage of the National Men's Basketball Championship We've got the four seed, the Yukon Huskies, taking on the five seed, San Diego State, all the marbles on the line in men's college basketball. Well, here we go. We've got sports beat ready to roll. We've got Notre Dame football spring practice conversation to get to, some offensive observations in just a couple of moments. We have an opportunity to hear, to allow you to hear from Marty Biaggi, the new special teams coordinator of the Fighting Irish. He has some big shoes to fill as special teams coach after special teams was fantastic last year. We have our Twitter question of the day, five biggest wins of the weekend, and also we've got a little sports wagering sizzler to get to before to the end of the program here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, the final four on the men's side lacked a little luster without any of the, well, outside of UConn, big name schools making the final four. UConn has been there. They've won four national titles. The other three teams, Florida Atlantic, Miami, San Diego State, making their first ever trip to the final four. So without the pizzazz names in the final four we needed to see some good games and we got at least one on Saturday the opener did not disappoint Florida Atlantic who probably is going to be ranked in the top 10 or 15 when next year gets rolling as they basically lose just one player from their final four team and oh so close to making it to the title game up 14 over San Diego State in the second half They couldn't close it out. Offensive rebounds, a big storyline coming down the stretch for the Aztecs as they creeped back into the ball game. They had not led since the first half, but they led at the most important time of the ball game. Kevin Kugler had the call on Westwood One, heard right here on WSBT Radio Saturday evening. 
Five seconds, Butler to the right wing with three seconds. Butler in the corner with one second. Hoist the jumper. It's good! It's good! Lamont Butler sends San Diego State to its first national championship game. 72-71. The Butler did it for the Aztecs in Houston. Great moment for the Aztecs, Heartbreak Hotel for the Owls of Florida, Atlantic, and San Diego State. Got by the Owls by a single point to get to tonight's national title game where they will take on UConn, who has just routed everybody so far in the tournament, all the wins by double digits. And for those that are interested, they have covered the spread in all five of their previous NCAA tournament games this year. As of a little bit ago, UConn still a seven and a half point favorite against one of the more veteran teams in college basketball, San Diego State. Their average age is over 23 years old. They are older than NBA teams like the San Antonio Spurs and the Detroit Pistons. So hopefully we have a good title game. Kind of feel like this is going to be a night in which UConn takes control early. I'm not saying it's going to turn out like Georgia TCU in the national championship game of college football. We're not talking 60 points on the board and and just going to be a blowout. Although, well, UConn's going to blow by 60 points, I have a feeling, even though San Diego State's pretty good defensively. But I think UConn is the better team, and they're going to pull this out tonight and win another national championship. They were really struggling at midseason after getting off to a great start. They righted the ship, and now here they are trying to win the program's fifth national title, three by Jim Calhoun. Kevin Ollie had one in his brief stint as UConn head coach, and now Danny Hurley trying to add another title to stores. And between the women's basketball program and the men's program, this would be 16 national titles. Pretty Remarkable. Also, we're following another story this afternoon. Legendary Indiana basketball coach Bob Knight hospitalized on Friday. According to the Knight family, Pat Knight has put out a statement. Coach Knight is now out of the hospital, and he is back home. And I think ever most people on social media are talking about still have Coach Knight in your prayers. So we're hoping all the best to one of the greatest coaches in Basketball history, Coach Bob Knight dealing with an, a health issue at the current time. All right, 513 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We get to now our hat trick of opening topics for this Monday evening. The first of three, we start with Notre Dame football spring practice. The Irish held a practice in front of the media on Saturday. One thing worth noting. Star running back Logan Diggs was in street clothes. He was not in uniform. He's missed some time during spring practice with an undisclosed injury. Now, he was moving around at practice, just had T-shirt and shorts on, but not available at the current time. We expect Diggs and Audric Estime to be 1A and 1B in the Irish backfield. So with Diggs... Unable to go, Audric Estime and Jabran Payne were the top two guys in practice. As we move on later on this year, we get to fall camp. If everything continues to go well, you're probably going to be hearing a lot more about Jadarian Price. Freshman last year showed us a lot in the blue goal game, then tore his Achilles over the summer, and now trying to get back into a Playing situation coming up in the fall. Working out right now in practice. Keep an eye on Jadarian Price. He likely will be a big part of this Fighting Irish offense and a leading candidate to be the number three running back when everybody is healthy with Diggs and Estime in some order. You could probably pencil in, pencil in Price as a guy that could be your number three. Now, even with the injury to Logan Diggs, Chris Tyree was still with the wide receiving core. I think that's worth noting. Even with Diggs out of practice right now, Tyree is staying with the wide receivers. Let's now get you caught up in case you haven't been following Notre Dame football. 
Now, you probably know Chris Tyree as a running back. His first three years here in South Bend. His carries dried up a bit late last year with the evolution of Logan Diggs and Audric Estime. We've always known Chris Tyree as an excellent person to throw to coming out of the backfield. And now he's getting his opportunity, whether it's just as a trial or maybe his full-time new gig, at the wide receiver position. So Tyree getting a lot of exposure to the wide receiver spot, adding a little more of a veteran presence to that group that has a lot of young pups. And we'll still put Tobias Merriweather in that young pup category after his freshman year last year. But he has been looking very, very good so far in spring practice. And, of course, you've got three young freshmen right now getting their feet wet as a wide receiver here in South Bend during spring practice. So that's newsworthy. Chris Tyree still hanging out with the wide receivers. We've talked a lot about Mitchell Evans, leading candidate to be the replacement for Michael Mayer at tight end as Mayer gets set for the NFL draft in a couple of weeks. Mitchell Evans was the starter in the Gator Bowl against South Carolina. Three catches, 39 yards, and a touchdown. But at least for Saturday... Media had the chance to watch practice, and Holden Stays was getting opportunities with the number one group. He's making a push at the tight end spot. More of a pass-catching tight end at this point of his career. We'll see how his blocking skills evolve with this Notre Dame football program. And along the offensive line, kind of the buzz of the early part of spring practice was Michael Carmody a veteran offensive lineman getting the first shot at left guard. Carmody has spent time last couple of years at tackle earlier in his Notre Dame career, a guard and also a center. And at least for this practice on Saturday was Billy Shrouth moving over from right guard to left guard. So a little trial run there. You've got Andrew Kristofik that was spending time with the ones at right guard. Carmody and Rocco Spindler were on the second team offensive line for that practice. Now, keep in mind, they move people around constantly. It's not just the same five offensive linemen working together. This is a trial and error portion of the season. And so while Carmody got a look in the first week, at least for this day, an opportunity for Shrouth to spend time at left guard and the veteran Kristofik at right guard. Long time to go before you have to settle in on a starting five. The left guard and the right guard spots are going to be some pretty good competitions for us to watch. Of course, the guys at left tackle, center, and right tackle are in pretty good shape. They're going to be just fine. They're going to be in the starting lineup for this football team led by Joe Alt at left tackle. Probably a guy we're going to be talking about as a first-round pick this time next year when the 2024 NFL Draft rolls around. Speaking of the NFL Draft, our second hat trick of opening topics for tonight focuses on the 23 NFL Draft. ESPN's Matt Miller, one of their NFL analysts, he believes he's got the perfect comp for Notre Dame's Michael Mayer. The all-everything tied in for the Fighting Irish the last three years. Expected to be a first-round pick. Now, he plays a non-premium position, so it's hard to tell where exactly he's going to go. But he's going to be a first-round pick. And Matt Miller of ESPN believes that the perfect comp for Michael Mayer is one we've heard before. And I totally get it. It's TJ Hawkinson. Hawkinson was taken in the top ten by the Detroit Lions a few years ago. Lions moved on from Hawkinson when he was traded to the Minnesota Vikings last year. Now, Miller had this to say about Mayer. Quote, Mayer is a throwback three-down tight end who can line up next to the offensive tackle and clear out in the run game or bring down passes up the seam. At 6'5", 249, he has elite size and uses it to produce all over the field to the tune of 67 catches, 809 yards, 
and nine touchdowns in 2022. Mayer is a post-up, box-out red zone threat. And while he ran a 4.70 second 40-yard dash at the Combine, his power, agility, and instincts should keep him in the top 15 picks even at a non-premium position. End quote. Now that last sentence you hope is true, but there is no guarantee he'll go in the top 15. Dalton Kincaid of Utah has picked up steam the last couple of weeks. There are many mock drafts that have Kincaid being taken in the top 15 and Mayer slipping to the back end of the first round. For example, number 29 to the New Orleans Saints. But I love what Miller pointed out. We saw this here in South Bend. The physicality of Michael Mayer makes him a very difficult matchup. He's going to run away from a linebacker. He's going to be very physical if you've got a safety lined up against him. Trying to cover him down the field. That's going to be advantage Michael Mayer. And I do think Michael Mayer is going to be really good immediately in the red zone with the way he uses his body to his advantage. Again, physical. If you can get away with a little oomph to get away from a defender, that's something that Michael Mayer can definitely do to gain a slight advantage over a defender. But I love the way he's always used his body to keep the defender away from the football. He is reliable catching the football. And I think Mayer is going to be a red zone issue right off the bat in the National Football League. The one thing about Mayer, if he does in fact slip, in the first round, he's likely going to go to a playoff caliber football team. And if you are a playoff team, chances are pretty good you have a better than average quarterback because it is hard to make the playoffs when you've got an average or a below average quarterback. So Mayer might have a chance to go to a veteran or go to a team with a veteran quarterback right off the bat and be in the playoff hunt early on in his National Football League career. But Kincaid and Mayer, I don't think any of us expected this to be a conversation who's going to be the first tight end off the board. But at least the buzz you read or you hear about is that Kincaid and Mayer could be a coin flip. Who goes first? It just depends on the team that's going to go with the tight end, which one they prefer. We're a little biased here in South Bend, but Michael Mayer is going to produce. There's absolutely no doubt about that at the highest level. And by the way, I mentioned Mayer 6'5", 249. Hawkinson is 6'5", 245. This year, 86 catches for 914 yards and six touchdowns. Five years already in the NFL for Hawkinson. 248 catches in those five years for 2,587 yards and 18 touchdowns. It averages out Hawkinson in his NFL career averaging 4.35 catches per game and 45.3 yards per contest. Hawkinson, Mayer, that's a pretty good comp for the Notre Dame All-American tight end. And our third and final hat trick of opening topics for tonight... Boy, this has been highly debated over the last 24 hours. Well, the tickets were hot for the women's Final Four. I mean, they were getting some pretty good coin for tickets to get into this championship game. Caitlin Clark in Iowa against LSU. Kim Mulkey taking over at LSU, her second year with the Tigers. Using the transfer portal to her advantage. Nine players from the portal, and she won the national championship. 102.85 was the final as the Tigers won their first national championship, the fourth for Mulkey. But the victory was sort of overshadowed by two other storylines in this game. Officiating and taunting. Let's start with officiating. I am never one to blame the officials on the outcome of a basketball game, a football game, a baseball game, whatever. 
because I think we can all agree you can go back to any point of the game that we are analyzing and you can find many things had this team done differently the score would have been different so you never want to point to the officiating as the reason why a team lost and let me say this right now Iowa did not lose the game because of the officiating but the three-person officiating crew struggled mightily in the biggest game of the women's college basketball season and a game that many people that, hey, maybe didn't follow women's basketball watched this game because of Clark. She became the face, I think, of not only the women's tournament, but the men's tournament. But the officiating struggled. They were inconsistent. They were too heavily involved causing a weird flow in the game. I thought the foul calls were overwhelming. And I thought it was interesting on ESPN that the broadcasters were very critical of the officiating throughout. And then as the game went on, they backed off. And I even thought they showed less replays of the questionable calls. I have a feeling someone might have gotten into someone's ear and said... We can't make this about the officiating. This is a big moment for women's college basketball. A lot of eyes are on this game, and we don't want to make the storyline the officiating. It's about LSU, Iowa, Caitlin Clark on down the line. So I thought the coverage changed as the game progressed. Plus, I guess you were just saying the same thing over and over. The officiating is very questionable in so many cases of this ballgame. On top of everything else, now I understand now there was a delay of game warning against Iowa in the game previously when Clark threw the ball behind her back out of bounds in a dead ball situation and was assessed a technical foul. There was no malice. She wasn't trying to show up any official. She just threw the ball behind her back to the baseline and was called for a technical foul, which was big. She started the fourth quarter with four personal fouls. Too much of the officiating being involved. The championship game is extremely emotional. I think you have to really use common sense in a moment like that. It's not like we have a pitch clock where they have to restart the game in 15 seconds. I just think the officials, take a breath. Don't overdo it. It's just like the moment was too big for the officials in this contest. Again, LSU was the better team. They deserved to win despite the officiating. I think that hurt Iowa in a lot of moments in this game. Bottom line, LSU won by 17. And the best team that night won the ball game. The second storyline was Clark. As I mentioned a second ago, maybe the face of March in college basketball. So talented, can put up 40, hand out 10, 15 assists, can shoot from anywhere on the floor. But she was also a player that has been known as a trash talker and not afraid or is not bashful uh, about making sure the opposition sees her and some of her antics. You look at the Louisville game earlier in the tournament, waving her hand in front of her face like, I can't see you, was trash-talking the Texas players. So she has a history of being more than willing to try to get into the head of the opposition or just simply talk trash. We see it in men's college basketball. We see it in women's college basketball. We see it in high school basketball. It's part of the game now. So the controversy yesterday was LSU's Angel Reese went out of her way to put her hand in front of her face and wave it at Clark and also followed her around and holding up her hand and showing her that a ring is going to go on her finger. It looked extremely bad in the moment. If you didn't know the backstory about Clark doing some of these same things, you're thinking, 
what in the world happened that's leading to this LSU player in arguably one of the greatest moments or probably the greatest moment of her athletic career rather than spending the time celebrating the closing moments of the game with teammates, she is going out of her way to try to stick it to Clark. Now, apparently, Reese didn't like the way Clark acted against South Carolina, a conference made of LSU. She saw some of the other things that happened during the tournament, so she took the moment to make sure to stick it in Clark's face. Now, Clark claims she didn't see any of it. She was focused on her teammates and being a part of that moment, enjoying being in the championship game. I'll say this. I'm not into the trash talk stuff. I've talked in the past about baseball, put your bat down, run to the base. I always appreciated the Lions' Barry Sanders scoring a touchdown, never spiked it, never celebrated. He acted like he had been there so many times before, which was the case, and just handed the football to the referee. Now, that's the extreme. You should get excited at times. Sports are meant to be fun. Get excited with your teammates. But... I honestly look at it this way. I was never one that was going to start the trash talking or the taunting. But with my play and maybe a little extra afterwards, I like to be the closer and finish those particular moments. So, no, it wasn't great what Clark did previously. Reese did the same thing. Some argue, well, he chased, she chased after Clark. That's the difference. No, it's still the same doesn't matter Clark was more than willing to taunt the opposition make it about herself in that moment and so in this moment you better be able to take it and to her credit she did she never blinked as any of that was going on so I prefer no taunting not reality that's not how sports is anymore There's going to be talking a lot during these games. But I don't have a problem with Reese giving it back to her after Clark had been doing it throughout the tournament. Clark's a heck of a player. Man, she is so much fun to watch. Most exciting college basketball player on the women's side in many, many years. That's our hat trick of opening topics. It is 5.33 on this Monday evening. I'm Darren Pritchett with you. We'll update the Giants and the White Sox coming up in just a couple of moments. The home opener for the good guys on the south side. And you'll hear from special teams coordinator of the Fighting Irish, Marty Biaggi. That's coming up in our next segment, Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on 960 AM WSBT. Streaming live at WSBTradio.com and the WSBT Radio. Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Twenty-one minutes in front of six o'clock on this Championship Monday. We have. The national championship game of men's college basketball right here on WSBT Radio tonight from Westwood One. Pre-game starts at 6.30, the opening tip around 9 o'clock, Connecticut versus San Diego State. Update from the south side of Chicago, the home opener for the Chicago White Sox today, and it has not been a good day for Chicago. The San Francisco Giants have hit more home runs in this game than the White Sox have base hits. Michael Kopech started this game for the White Sox, and in four and two-thirds innings, Kopech allowed seven earned runs, eight hits, four walks. He allowed five of the seven home runs. In fact, in the fifth inning, the Giants hit four home runs in five batters, against Kopech. They were just hammering his fastball. So Kopech was knocked out before the end of the fifth inning. Giants had a 7-0 lead at that point. And just a couple of moments ago, David Villar, the San Francisco third baseman, connected on a ninth inning grand slam off Sox reliever 
Jose Ruiz, and then Bryce Johnson, a pinch hitter, came up next, and he hit a solo home run off Ruiz. So it is 12-3. San Francisco, the Giants are still batting in the ninth inning, and the White Sox have brought in a position player, Hanser Alberto, to try to get the final out of the top of the ninth inning. So 12-3 San Francisco in the White Sox home opener. And with this loss, the White Sox would fall to 2-3 in the American League Central. Really the only highlight for Chicago today, Luis Robert hit a solo home run, his second of the year in the eighth inning. Also, Andrew Vaughn and Yasmani Grandal have RBIs for Chicago, but the Giants in control on the south side, leading the White Sox 12-3. And I have a segment coming up, the five wins of the weekend. The White Sox were involved in one of those five wins, and the reason was starting pitching, but I obviously wrote that before today's outing by Kopech, which was an absolute disaster. All right, let's get back to Notre Dame football spring practice conversation. We spent a little time talking about the offense a few moments ago, and now to special teams as Marty Biaggi takes over as the special teams coordinator. Last year, the Fighting Irish led the country in blocked kicks, seven. To add a little perspective, during the Brian Kelly era, which was 12 years, the Irish had six total. Last year, four punts were blocked, including two in the same quarter by Isaiah Foskey, and also three kicks were blocked by the Fighting Irish. There's a Fremo Efficiency Index, which tries to put a number on special teams play. The Irish were number six in the country, their best showing in this index since it was created. So Marty Biaggi takes over. A unit that was a major difference maker after a decade of special teams. You just hope they broke even, to be quite frank, but not the case last year. Definitely a special special teams unit. Well, Biagi has a history. He was a punter slash place kicker at Marshall. He was a punter for Marshall in 2005, averaged 38.4 yards per punt, 2007. 36.5 yards per punt. He knows about Notre Dame. There's a family tie with Notre Dame. Many family members went to St. Mary's or Notre Dame. He was a special teams analyst at Notre Dame in 2016. Was a part of the Purdue staff in 20 and 21 where he was the special teams coach and was the Ole Miss special teams coach last year before getting the job here in South Bend, and here is Marty talking about getting the opportunity with the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame in 2023. Yeah, uh, Coach Freeman reached out uh, once Coach Mason was leaving, and we had had a kind of a relationship dating back a couple years um, to when we had played here. I was at Purdue, and we had played here, and I believe it was 2021. And then, um, you know, when the job, when he got promoted, to the head coach, he had reached out and kind of expressed some interest. So we had some short conversations then. And then when Coach Mace uh, took the job for the Colts, he, he reached out pretty quickly and uh, had some conversations and um, moved, moved pretty pretty quick. Was it always your goal to come back? It has been. You know, it's, it's been a dream, especially to coach here, you know, uh, mainly, to be honest, just as a family decision, loving this place growing up as a, as a child, being always around this campus, um, you know, it's Notre Dame. <laughs> like, it's just, people don't get it, and it's just, it's super special. So uh, it was a dream, it was a goal to come back, and always wanted to, if blessed or fortunate, to have my parents be able to uh, see me coach a game here. They got to when I was at Purdue um, on the visiting field, visiting sideline, but uh, it's really cool for, you know, this upcoming season for sure. No doubt Coach Biaggi. Really enjoying being back here in South Bend. You can tell it means a lot to his family. Well, it's a different-looking special teams unit this year. In particular, the individuals are going to kick the football. The place kickers, you've got Spencer Schrader and Zach Yoakum as the candidates. The holder is a, well, the leading candidate might be sophomore, walk-on quarterback Dylan DeVeason. 
Bryce McPherson also is a candidate. The long snapper, we know who he is. He's been around these parts for a while, has done an excellent job in Michael Vinson. The punter likely will be Bryce McPherson. Punt return, we found out from Coach on Saturday. The leading candidates appear to be Chris Tyree, Lorenzo Styles, and the always dependable Matt Salerno. But you put Tyree or Styles back there, you get a little more wiggle. You got a chance for a game-breaking play with those two back there. Kickoff duties, Yoakum and McPherson will be battling. You've got kickoff return possibilities. Well, an interesting group right now to choose from. A couple of guys I just mentioned, Chris Tyree and Lorenzo Styles, possible kickoff return men for the Fighting Irish. We've seen Tyree back there. Jaden Mickey is a possibility. Jabran Payne, the running back. And how about wide receiver Jaden Greathouse? So a lot of speed back there on kickoff returns, no matter which direction that they go. Well, here is Coach discussing his philosophy on special teams. Sure. Uh, a lot of it has to do with effort and attitude in terms of uh, trying to get the players to buy in. Everywhere I've been at, you know, I was an education major, um, so really tried to take a lot of what I learned in college and apply it. And uh, to me, it's, it should be like a fun class playing football, something that they should and love, enjoy doing. Um, it's my job because normally they come here to be on offense and defense, so it's my job to make class fun to where they want to be a part of that third phase and make it special. And what is Coach looking for when it comes to trying to develop a special teams player or identifying who might be a good person to put on special teams? Biggest thing would be effort backed up by discipline and accountability. So really what it comes down to is can I trust you? If I can trust you, then I know that you can perform in a play. Probably the biggest difference in a special teams play compared to an offense and defensive play is those plays normally last about five seconds. Whereas a special teams play can last up to 10, 12, even 14 seconds. So can I trust you through the entirety of the play? One of the big differences with Brian Mason last year compared to Brian Polian, who was the special teams coordinator for many years under Brian Kelly, was the use of starters on offense and defense on special teams. You think about some of the key participants on special teams last year, Isaiah Foskey, again, had the two punt blocks in one quarter. Jack Kaiser, the rover, a key player on special teams, and even a guy who is a promising starter, it looks like, in the future for this Notre Dame football team. But Prince Colley impacted this football team, taking a boatload of snaps on special teams last year. So, there's an example of key players out there on special teams. Oftentimes, unheralded guys, maybe some walk-ons get out there on special teams to help out. But under Mason, a lot more, I would call it, key personnel on the field. We'll see if that is something that Coach Biaggi will do as well. That is the expectation. And let's face it, you have a chance to catch the attention of the coaching staff with what you can do on special teams. Think back a few years ago, that Chase Claypool guy, he dazzled us on special teams his first year, and then there was a lot of coaches for Notre Dame trying to get that guy into their room and develop them, That, or I should say develop Claypool, whether it be on offense or defense. He ended up at wide receiver. Now he's a Chicago Bear. But you can make an impact and catch the attention of the coaching staff by being really good on special teams. And Prince Kali falls into that category last year. So this special teams unit has a lot to live up to from last year's squad. And we'll see what they can do under a new special teams coordinator. 5.50 is our time. Budweiser's weekday sports beat is being brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Barnaby's, the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by a new sponsor. Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. 
Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. It's now a final home opener for the White Sox, a loss. Final score, the San Francisco Giants 12 and the Chicago White Sox 3. 551, we'll come back with our Twitter question of the day next on WSBT. We originally talked to Applied Innovation customer Tony Beachler of Farm Bureau Insurance over five years ago. Tony, you've grown and so has Applied Innovation. They're always looking for different ways to stand the test of time of different innovations that they can use to be really at the forefront of their industry. And they want to grow as technology grows and as consumers and companies grow. When you combine Applied Innovation's culture, it really separates them. In fact, I know that it's a great organization when their own employees speak very highly of them. And you've always recommended Applied Innovation. I recommend Applied Innovation and the Lowry family as often as I can. They are very easy to do business with, and it's just an easy, easy, easy referral in my mind. Applied Innovation, imaging, technology, and automation solutions for business. Call Applied Innovation today, 800-521-0983, or visit AppliedInnovation.com. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, 555 at WSBT. Our Twitter question of the day is something you can find on my Twitter account each weekday at 960 Sports Beat. We always appreciate your time voting on our Twitter question of the day. Let's go back to Friday's program. We asked this question before the men's national semifinals took place. The question was, who's going to win the NCAA men's basketball tournament? Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, Connecticut, or Miami? Well, the voting went this way. Coming in fourth place at 10%, the ACC's Miami Hurricanes, one of the better teams money could buy this year under Jim Laranega. Miami taken care of by Connecticut. Coming in third place, 10.5% of the vote. A team playing for the national championship tonight, San Diego State. I think everybody likes to cheer for the underdog if you don't have A dog in the fight. Florida Atlantic definitely was the darling of the tournament, at least deep into the tournament. Florida Atlantic got 12% of the vote. They came in second place. But without a doubt, those who voted believe in the favorite coming into the final four. And that is the Connecticut Huskies. Connecticut got 68% of the vote, going for their fifth National Championship tonight, and they are a seven and a half point favorite over the Aztecs of San Diego State. Kind of feel like it's going to be a non exciting title game. I sure hope I'm wrong. We'll make a pick in our Sizzler segment at the bottom of next hour. And again, we'll join Westwood One's coverage of the title game at 6 30. They've got a two hour pregame show leading up to tip San Diego State and Connecticut. Here is today's Twitter question of the day, which was posted earlier today. What is the right play in tonight's NCAA Men's Basketball National Championship game? Here are your four choices. Number one, you'll take Connecticut laying the seven and a half points, plus the game will go over 132 and a half points. Your second choice, UConn once again, laying seven and a half, but this time under 132 and a half total points. Your third possibility, let's go to the dog, San Diego State plus seven and a half with over 132 and a half total points in the game. And your fourth and final choice, San Diego State plus seven and a half, but the game goes under 132 and a half total points. 
So there you go. What's the right play in tonight's NCAA Men's Basketball National Championship game? The key numbers are Connecticut favored by 7.5. And and the total points in the game set at 132.5. We'd like to know which you believe is the right play. You can vote right now on my Twitter account at 960-SPORTSBEAT and enjoy the game tonight. Next time we talk college basketball here in South Bend, Micah Shrewsbury will be roaming the sideline at Purcell Pavilion. I'm Darren Pritchett. It is 5.59. We've got a sports update coming up in a moment. Then we'll get to the best five wins of the weekend. We've got some sizzler to get to before we wrap things up at 6.30 on your home of the Blue Goal game on April the 22nd. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the app store and Google play. Now back to local sports talk on sports beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. Eleven minutes after six o'clock. Welcome to the second hour, Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio nine sixty WSBT. The Chicago Cubs' first road game is tonight, Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. They face Connor Overton. He's a right-hander who had a two seventy-three ERA in limited time last year, but. He threw five and a third shutout innings, scattering just two hits against the Chicago Cubs on September the 30th. David Ross will put together this Cub lineup tonight. Nico Horner will lead off and play second base. Dansby Swanson will bat second and play short. Switch hitting left left fielder Ian Happ will bat third. Center fielder Cody Bellinger will hit fourth. He is 0 for 11 on the season. Notre Dame's Trey Mancini will play right field. He will bat fifth. Mancini is two for ten with four strikeouts so far this year. Patrick Wisdom will play third and hit six. He's got a couple of long balls. Eric Hosmer, the left-handed hitting first baseman, will bat seventh. Edwin Rios hits eighth. He is the designated hitter. Batting ninth, the catcher, Tyler Barnhart. He's a former Cincinnati Red. And Drew Smiley, the left-hander, on the mound tonight for the Chicago Cubs. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Our My Five today, who had the five biggest wins of the weekend? Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. We'll start with golf. Corey Connors, Canadian, won the Texas Open by one shot for a second PGA Tour win. The other win also at this golf tournament in 2019. Connors takes a lot of momentum into this week's Masters, where he is one of two players that have finished in the top ten of the Masters the last three years. The other is Cameron Smith. Fourth biggest win of the weekend goes to the NHL's Boston Bruins, who won their 60th game of the regular season. It was a 4-3 shootout win over the Blues in St. Louis. Boston became just the fourth team in NHL history to win 60 regular season games. The other three teams, the 1976-77 Montreal Canadiens, they had 60 wins. The 2018-2019 Tampa Bay Lightning won 62 games. And the 95-96 Detroit Red Wings also won 62 games. So the Bruins are two from tying the record, three from setting the record. They have five games remaining. They've already become the fastest team in NHL history to 100 points on March the 2nd. They did it in just their 61st game. The nucleus of this team won the Stanley Cup in 2011, lost to the Blackhawks in 13, the Blues in 19. This nucleus has one more run left in them with guys like Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci likely retiring after 
this season. The Bruins are the favorite, but the favorite, you know what? It's not easy to win the Stanley Cup, being the favorite or not. It is the most difficult trophy to grab. Okay, okay. Uh, number three. Well, thanks to Michael Kopech today ruining this particular answer. It was the Chicago White Sox who split their four-game series against the defending world champion Astros down in Houston to start the year. Big reason why starting pitching. Dylan C, six and a third, one earned run. Lance Lynn howled his way to five and two-thirds innings, two earned runs. Lucas Giolito, five innings, two earned runs. And yesterday, Mike Clevenger, five innings of shutout baseball. Going into today... The Sox rotation against the Astros at 2.04 ERA with 30 strikeouts and 22 innings. And then today happened, Kopech gave up five home runs in four and two-thirds innings in a Giants 12-3 win over the White Sox in Chicago. Number two. Number two, Major League Baseball and their fans were big winners. Pitch clock, no shifting, bigger bases, put the ball in play, more action. The game was better than ever this weekend. Through the first 50 games, the average game time, 2 hours and 39 minutes. That is down 25 minutes from last year's 9-inning average. Take away the shift. League average on balls in play have gone from 290 to 301. There has been a 2-point increase in overall batting average. With restrictions on the number of pickoff attempts, stolen bases are up 37%. The success rate, 84%. That's the highest rate of steals since 1997. I am a major fan of the pitch clock. It has made the game so much better. So much less downtime in a ball game. It has been so enjoyable to watch the new rules in action. Number one. And the number one winner of the weekend, the transfer portal. LSU women's basketball coach Kim Mulkey took over the Tigers women's basketball program last year. In her second year this season, she returned one player. She brought in nine players from the transfer portal, and her team won the national championship. So the big winner this weekend was the portal, showing a team can reprogram itself overnight and become a champion. And that players, unfortunately, can jump to what they think is a better situation. And in this case, become a national champion. There is so much that seems wrong about what I'm talking about. But in reality, you either accept it or you don't. And you fall way behind everybody else. That's our My 5 question of the day. The five big winners of the weekend. We've got Sizzler coming up next, and then we go to Westwood One's coverage of the NCAA tournament at 6.30 on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 